the Holy Spirit that manifests itself through the spirit of prophecy. This is number eight. We have come to the last tape in this series, and I do not hesitate to state that this message may prove to be the difference in discovering truth from error, resulting in everlasting life or eternal death. God, in his divine wisdom, foresaw in the end time that Satan would cause every wind of doctrine to blow upon his chosen people to unsettle their faith. But before we pursue these thoughts further, let us pause to pray. O loving Father, which art in heaven, today we are being encircled with the lies of Satan, even by men whom we once trusted to be the servants of the Most High God. Thousands are becoming bewildered, uncertain, and deceived. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to guide us with heavenly discernment so that we may clearly see the difference between truth and error. Grant us, God, this divine power so that we may be aware of Satan's delusions and stand firmly on the pillars of truth. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us begin this study by reading from God's Word. I have chosen 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 11. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie. Now from this divine warning found in God's word, we learn that Satan will carry out his activities with power. In fact, it says with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness to warp and twist and distort the truth so that many will believe a lie. In this end time, God foresaw that Satan would work to muddy confound and bewilder even the very elect. God knew that his remnant people would need a clear testimony of the Holy Spirit to pierce this theological confusion, or they would flounder and be misled. This is why God gave his Holy Spirit in the gift of the spirit of prophecy to his remnant church that they might prepare the way of the Lord. We must not forget that in the end time the Holy Spirit is being withdrawn from the wicked who have turned from the truth. 
Now, I hope you will think this through very carefully. No other spiritual gift could guard God's people in the end time from this onslaught of satanic evil without the help of the Holy Spirit. Never in all past history has the Holy Spirit been so needed as it is in our day. In Testimonies 4, page 147, quote, In ancient times God spoke to men by the mouth of prophets and apostles. And now notice, in these days, he speaks to them by the testimonies of his Spirit. There was never a time when, God's instruction, when God instructed his people more earnestly, unquote. You know, those words struck me. There was never a time. What a statement. Nor has there been any combination of circumstances in which God could not communicate to his people. Consider with me, when he needed a man to lead Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he called Moses, of whom we read in Hosea 12:13, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet, was he preserved? The Exodus serves as a type of the final gathering of God's people when they are gathered from the four corners of the earth. For Isaiah 11:16 says, And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people. In order to accomplish this, God has placed the gift of prophecy amid his remnant because, you know, it says in Revelation 12, 17, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 19.10, it is plainly stated, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, unquote. It is very interesting to note that God's spokesmen often suffered mockery and derision. When God called Moses to the prophetic office, Moses hesitated we read in Exodus 40 that he said, I am slow of speech, but God overruled. And when God called Jeremiah, he said in Jeremiah 1.6, Ah, Lord God, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And God countered, Thou shalt be as my mouth. Jeremiah 15, verse 19. A reluctant Ellen Harmon, later Ellen White, one of the weakest of the weak, pleaded her inadequacies. But God instructed her, and I am reading Review and Herald, July 26, 1906. Exhort from the word, I will make my word open to you. I shall not be a strange language. In the true eloquence of simplicity, with voice and pen, the messages that I give shall be heard from one who never learned in the schools. My spirit and my power shall be with you." Unquote. This brings us to a very critical point. Who is it that breathes the gift of the Spirit? The answer, the Holy Spirit. 
for the scriptures are very clear, and there can be no misunderstanding about this vital truth. Nehemiah stated in, Jer in chapter 930, Thou testifieth by thy spirit in thy prophets. And Peter explains in 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you and notice with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into and then he adds in 2nd Peter 121 for the prophecy came not in old times by the will of men but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost somehow the majority of our ministers today have failed to teach the remnant that the spirit of prophecy writings of Ellen White are indeed the breath of the Spirit. Before Ellen White's writings became available so that the source of their inspiration could be judged from Scripture, God provided open visions. For example, remember what happened to Daniel at the beginning of his vision? He crumpled to the ground but quickly there followed an invigorating sense of supernatural strength. For a miracle took place, because while Daniel was in vision, he did not breathe. Let me quote this to you. It's found in Daniel, the 10th chapter, verse 16 and 17. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said to him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remaineth no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me." Unquote. Careful examination of Ellen Harmon on a number of occasions revealed that while she was in vision, she did not breathe. But the brethren went much further than this. After checking to see if she breathed in vision, they followed Paul's counsel found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. And so they examined the contents of her messages to see that if in any way they conflicted with the Bible, and praise God, never did they find this ever to happen. In those early days of the Advent movement, to use the term prophet stigmatized a person as a fanatic, 
Society was shocked by the permissiveness of some who claimed to possess this gift. Therefore, is it any wonder that Ellen White preferred to be called a messenger rather than a prophet? The brethren dared not accept or reject the visions without ascertaining their source. Some held, oh, it's too good to be true. Others found that the Bible provided guidelines which made it possible to distinguish between the true and the false prophets. They learned that false prophets led away from the Bible, as they read in Deuteronomy 13:1-4. If there arise among you a prophet, or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Then these words, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or of that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth him to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. Furthermore, false prophets also make predictions that do not come to pass. For instance, Deuteronomy 18.22, When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. False prophets teach things that are contrary to God's law. Remember that. Isaiah 8.20 To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. False prophets also fail to turn sinners from evil. Jeremiah 23, 20 to 22. In the latter days, notice what it says. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from their evil doings. That's clear. Now, <clears throat> let's look at God's description of a true prophet. They speak the truth without fear or favor. Consider Prophet John who reproved King Herod. You read of it in Luke 3:19. Herod being reproved by him, that's John, for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evil which Herod had done. Think of it. This prophet of God, John, dared to reprove even a king. And again, true prophets declare, as I read in 1 John 4, 1 to 3, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 
Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. And again, a true prophet edifieth the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. He that prophesieth speaketh unto him to edification and exhortation and comfort. Furthermore, a true prophet preaches the gospel. And how does he do it? The gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. Ellen White rarely spoke of her, rule, her role as a prophet. Once when a denominational leader became unsettled, in regards to the need of this gift, what did she do? She gave him a Bible study, asking, why were the books of Nathan, Gad, Ahijah, and Edo, which are mentioned in the first and second Chronicles, together with other inspired writings, mentioned in the Bible? but not included in the sacred, sacred canon. For example, she said, Solomon wrote 1,000 songs, but the Bible includes very few of them. Then Ellen White continued to explain, the inclusion of all that Jesus said or did would have increased the size of the Bible, which would have made it hard to handle. Then she referred to John's explanation found in John 21, 24, and 25. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Finally, she commented upon John's words, guided by the Holy Spirit, to include certain events. John 20, 30, and 31, that ye might believe and that ye might have life. Having explained these deletions, she went on to say that the books of Scripture that had been preserved contained truths needed in every succeeding generation. But the books omitted from sacred canon contained instructions for a particular time needed then, but not needed later. Then, referring to her writings, she said that they could not have been benefited any previous age, but they were the present end-time needs. She spoke of them as the Spirit's prophetic guidance for our day. As a result, the leader to whom she gave this Bible study rejoiced in the light and became a defender of the prophetic gift. Ellen White always made it crystal clear that her writings were not under any circumstances to take the place of the Bible and you will find that in the experiences and views of 1851. Then she stated in early writings, page 78, I commend the word of God as the rule of your faith and practice. God has in that word promised to give visions in the last days, not for a new rule of faith, but for the comfort of his people, and then these words, and to correct those who err. 
Again, she stated in Evangelism, page 257, The Lord has given a lesser light to lead men and women to the greater light. Ellen White insists in her introduction of the great controversy, and I'm quoting, The Spirit was not given, nor can it ever be bestowed, to supersede the Bible, unquote. Then she goes on to exalt the Bible as the standard by which we must test all teachings. And then I quote again, The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as the authoritative, infallible revelation of His will. She affirms that the Spirit and the Word of God will always agree. It is impossible that the teachings of the Spirit should ever be contrary to the Word." Unquote. Listen as Ellen White presents a full explanation of the nature of her work and the influence of the testimonies. She begins in volume 5, page 654, by saying that as the end draws near, it becomes most important for God's people to understand the writings which are, and I'm quoting, linked with the third angel's message from its very rise, unquote. Testimonies 5, page 672. Then she lists certain steps which will lead to apostasy. Testimonies 5, page 672. It is Satan's plan to weaken the faith of God's people in the testimonies. Did you get that? It is Satan's plan to weaken the faith of God's people in the testimonies. Satan knows how to make his attacks. He works upon minds to excite jealousy and dissatisfaction toward those at the head of the work. The gifts are next questioned. Then, of course, they have but little weight, and instruction given through visions is disregarded. Next follows skepticism in regard to the vital points of the faith, the pillars of our position, then doubt as to the Holy Scriptures, and then the downward march to perdition. She continues, When the testimonies which were once believed, isn't that a sad statement? when the testimonies which were once believed are doubted and given up, Satan knows the deceived ones will not stop at this, and he redoubles his efforts till he launches them into open rebellion. Shall I read it? Which becomes incurable and ends in destruction. For we see this beginning to happen today. It was God's purpose that his last day mouthpiece preached and taught the distinctive truths for the end time. And as a watchman on the walls of Zion sounds the alarm when false doctrines infiltrate the church, so, sensing such dangers ahead, she stated in Selected Messages 2, page 51, 43, 29, and 60, these statements. Satan is working with everyone who is not under the control of the Spirit of God. There is constant danger of allowing something to come into our midst that we may regard as the workings of the Holy Spirit, but in reality is the fruit 
of the spirit of fanaticism. The Holy Spirit always comes in a way that commends itself to the judgments of the people. Holiness of heart will never lead to impure actions. The Holy Spirit's movings upon the human agent will keep the mind well balanced. If we are constantly looking unto Jesus and receiving his Spirit, we shall have clear eyesight. How explicit can you be? In preparation for Christ's first advent, God commissioned John the Baptist in Matthew 17:11 to restore all things. Similarly, the people who are charged to prepare the world for Christ's second coming must experience, quote, the restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began, Acts 3, 21. Ellen White's writings not only recover truths emphasized by Bible prophets, but she uses modern language to emphasize their statements so that they can speak to us today in our time. She leaves no error untouched in the spectrum of human relations. She reaches back far into the past to reveal the issues raised at Lucifer's defection. She exposes the depth of Satan's malice in contrast to Christ's amazing love. Calvary's cross of sacrifice becomes so meaningful in her writings that the heart of the reader is mightily moved by the Holy Spirit to personally visualize Christ dying in our place. And I can personally testify that no other book I've read by the world's best theologians has ever opened up my soul to salvation's wonders, such as when I read Ellen White's writings like The Desire of Ages. And where else can we go for a divine explanation of the scriptures to comprehend the work of Christ as our high priest in the holy place above? The spirit of prophecy gives the remnant church an understanding of the atoning sanctuary doctrine, which is totally unknown to all other churches in the world. Her writings open up spiritual details of Christ's second coming in such a manner as to startle the intellect. She also explains what takes place following the millennial reign in heaven. And she looks forward to the destruction of the wicked and pictures the earth made new as a place for the redeemed of all ages. She lets us in anticipation enjoy the delights of heaven here and now as you read her works. God led Ellen White to give invaluable counsel in establishing the publishing, the medical, and the educational institutions. The light given her by God guided the brethren in opening up work in the great cities of the earth, here and in mission fields. But more than any other gift, the spirit of prophecy brought a unity of faith to our church. She asserts in Testimonies 9, page 188, the Christ in us will meet the Christ in our brethren, and the Holy Spirit will give that union of heart and action which testifies to the world that we are the children of God.
This unity declares the source of our inspiration. What a pity that Satan is using the unity of the ecumenical movement today to change the godly unity that he gives in the spirit of prophecy. God's messenger to the remnant offers specific direction for the finishing of the work. She tells us that kindness, courtesy, and tender-heartedness will produce hundreds of conversions where now only one occurs. That's found in volume 9, page 189. She emphatically states that our great sin as a church today, and listen to this, quote, is that we do not open the heart to receive the Holy Spirit, unquote. That's found in Selected Messages 2, page 57. Heaven help us. We as Adventists have many noted preachers of prophecy, but Ellen White tells us that we would understand the prophecies even better if we granted the Spirit more freedom. This messenger of God declared in Testimonies 5, page 719, the rebuke of God is upon us. His blessings have been withdrawn. Why? because the testimonies he has given have not been heeded. The means that God has devised to awaken the church to a sense of its spiritual destitution have not been regarded. The voice of the true witness has been heard but has not been obeyed." Unquote. What a sad commentary. Will we ever learn that disobedience always brings tragic results? We are instructed by God regarding our medical work that we should not build large institutions, but to keep them small and in a country environment, and above all, to shun debt. But as a result of not following the Lord's instructions today, we owe more than a billion dollars. So what happens? Now we are being forced to join other medical facilities. Look at what recently took place in Colorado, our large Porter Hospital in Denver has been forced to join hands with a Catholic hospital so that we are no longer free to operate our hospital according to Seventh-day Adventist beliefs. And believe me, that's true. For we are joined with Catholicism both financially and in management. I state these sad facts with a deep regret and much sorrow, for this is but a preview of what is to come to our other medical institutions. Likewise, we were given divine instruction concerning our educational systems, how they should function, and worldly government agencies have marveled at the divine blueprint as laid down in the book Education. But again, the brethren decided to bypass these instructions and determined to become like the worldly institutions with the glory of accreditation. The first statement made by the accreditation board when we applied to them that we might join with them when something like this. You do not want to do this because you will lose your identity 
and eventually discover it is impossible to teach your doctrine. But leadership convinced themselves that they knew better and that this would never happen. God said, be ye separate. But the educational leader said, join. How do I know what I'm talking about? I was there and heard that with my own ears when I was in the general conference. And so the sad results have revealed that God was right. For God is always right. Now, since we have received accreditation, and listen to this, we no longer have the right to dismiss a professor who teaches false doctrines, such as evolution or any other science contrary to God's word and to our beliefs. God help us. I know of one of our universities that no longer teaches that the world was created in seven days, as it says in the Ten Commandments. Such in centers of learning are no longer God's institutions. They are an abomination to God, leading many, many of our youth in the wrong direction. I tremble at the thought of what God will do soon when he takes the reins into his own hand and separates the tares from the wheat. King Jehoshaphat proclaimed God's success secret of keeping his church pure when he admonished Judah, and I'm reading Second Chronicles 2.20, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Finally, I must tell you what I see coming. As a division becomes more pronounced within the church, between the liberals and those who will remain steadfast to the standards and instructions given by God's mouthpiece, I see a major drive developing to turn the remnant from the writings of Ellen White to the new theology of love and unity. New books will be presented to the remnant that will teach, quote, that the little old lady, unquote, was good for the church in its younger days, but now, with all of our doctors of divinity, we no longer need to adhere to the spirit of prophecy. And this is exactly what Ellen White predicted would happen. I'm reading Selected Messages 1, page 48. The very last deception. Did you get that? The very last deception of Satan will be to make of non-effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. And then she quotes Proverbs 29:18, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Then she goes on to say, Satan will work in different ways and through different agencies to unsettle the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimony. And then she states in letter 12 of 1890, there will be a hatred kindled against the testimonies which is satanic. The workings of Satan will be to unsettle the faith of the churches in them, unquote. Were you listening? Testimonies 5, page 79 to 84. There are men among us in responsible positions who hold that the opinions of a few conceited philosophers, so-called, are more to be trusted 
than the truth of the Bible or the testimonies of the Holy Spirit. Such a faith as that of Paul, Peter, and John is considered old-fashioned at the present day. It is pronounced absurd, mystical, and unworthy of an intelligent mind. Then she adds, but God has shown me that these men are hazels to prove a scourge to our people. They are wise above what is written. God has promised that when the shepherds are not true, he will take charge of the flock himself. Oh, I praise God for that. There's going to be a change coming. God will have a people pure and true in the mighty sifting soon to take place. We shall be better able to measure the strength of Israel. The days are fast approaching when there will be great perplexity and confusion. Satan, clothed in angel robes, will deceive, if possible, the very elect. There will be God's many and Lord's many. Every wind of doctrine will be blowing. Those who have rendered supreme homage to science falsely so-called will not be the leaders then. Those who have trusted in intellect, genius, or talent will not then stand at the head of rank and file. They did not keep pace with the light. Those who have proved themselves unfaithful will not then be trusted with the flock. In the last solemn work, few great men will be engaged. They are self-sufficient, independent of God, and he cannot use them. The Lord has faithful servants who in the shaking, testing time will be disclosed to view. There are precious ones now hidden who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Praise God. The time is not far distant when the test will come to every soul. The mark of the beast will be urged upon us. Those who have step by step yielded to worldly demands and conformed to worldly customs will not find it hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than subject themselves to derision, insult, threatened imprisonment, and death. The contest is between the commandments of God and the commandments of men. In this time, the gold will be separated from the dross in the church. True godliness will be clearly distinguished from the appearance and tinsel of it. Many a star that we have admired for its brilliancy will then go out in darkness. The church cannot measure herself by the world, nor by the opinions of men, nor by what she once was. Her faith and her position in the world, as they now are, must be compared with what they would have been if her course had been continually onward and upward. The church will be weighed in the balances of the sanctuary. Oh, what a day is ahead. God help us. But lest we forget, the gift of prophecy promotes the means for the loud cry and constitutes a vital part of the loud cry message. Seventh-day Adventists need make no apology for Ellen White, but rather we need to apologize publicly because we have not given her works greater publicity. 
Let us remember often the words of Holy Scripture. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And may we remember Ellen White's comments in Special Testimonies to Battle Creek, page 6. This is the message given by God to be sounded forth in the loud cry of the third angel, the faith of Jesus and the testimony of Jesus are blended. They are to be clearly presented to the world. Oh, may we never forget it. How wonderfully God has blessed this people in giving to us the spirit of prophecy. Let us pray. O oh Lord, forgive our ministers. Forgive our leadership for not uplifting thy counsel as portrayed in the spirit of prophecy. And when we study thy word, may we make sure that all we believe is in full harmony with the explanations revealed in God's last day prophet in her testimonies. Amen. Oh